0: Looking at our world from a theological
1: perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, February the 21st, 2023. It is currently 1137 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I I don't I don't have the words to express my emotions right now other than I I don't know. How do I describe just a total feeling of I I I don't know what to do. I don't I'm 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 exhausted, frustrated, confused, bothered, irritated tired of talking about it like there there's so there's so many emotions there's so many words i just it's all just like i i really don't know what to do i don't know what to do and this this goes beyond what i need to try to finish up right now in this particular episode and see in this particular episode i'm tasked with trying to finish a sermon review someone asked me to do a sermon review We've done two parts. I think that makes up over two hours of discussing it. I feel like in many ways, all we've done is said the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over for two hours. In some ways, I feel like that I've said the same thing over and over and over and over for 70 plus hours in our series on law and gospel. And it seems that no matter how many times I say it, on one hand, people don't seem to get it or understand it or still can still continue to misrepresent what I'm trying to say. And then at the same time, there are those who are like, I'm tired of hearing you say the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's like, well, you may be tired of hearing me say the same thing over and over and over again, but by your comments, you demonstrate that you still don't get what I'm saying. So maybe you do need to listen to me say it over and over and over again. And then I just get frustrated because nobody likes to be misunderstood. Right. And, and I don't think anyone likes to repeat themselves over and over and over. It's like, it's, it's, it's kind of frustrating (laughs) when, when someone messages you and go, you just keep repeating yourself. And, and I almost want to respond. And why do you think I keep repeating myself? Why do you think I keep, do you think I have nothing else better to do? I mean, anyone who listens to this podcast, look at the wide range of things we discuss. You never know from day to day when I turn on the microphone what we're going to be talking about at any given moment. You don't know if it's going to be a Bible study, a news commentary. You you don't know what it's going to be. An emotional story. You don't know. Um, a sermon review. You You never know. And you never know when a new series is about to just emerge. So I think there's a lot of unpredictability. I think there's a lot of organic things that happen on this podcast to keep it moving and keep it interesting. But yes, there is a certain subject that we feel, or at least I feel, that we need to continue to talk about over and over and over. One, because we're in the middle of a series on, on understanding law and gospel. So we have to keep talking about it there, but but at the same time, people don't understand. And this is kind of where I feel the frustration, or or this is where I feel like somehow— I guess I don't understand the misunderstanding, right? Here's the thing. I believe, and I'll just give you my belief, that, as, that when we, that we, ha, that we let me do it, do it this way. I'll try to break it all the way down. That all of us are conceived and brought forth in sin, that we have a depraved nature. We have a sinful nature Our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. That we have a serious internal problem. There's an internal malfunction of a critical level. We're all broken inside, right? And I think when I become a Christian by faith, in Christ, I'm declared to be perfect, holy, righteous, new. The old is gone. Everything is new. This is true in my position. That's all true. I am now holy, perfect, righteous. In my practice, I still have a depraved nature, I still have a sin nature, and I will sin continually all the time. I'm still broken, and that brokenness will manifest itself all the time. How do I know? Well, I can take three three basic pa- passages of scripture, three basic concepts. Love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. I never do that anywhere close to the level that's called for, which would be a perfect level. I never do it consistently, and I never do it perfectly because I'm because my love for God is always tainted with love for self and my sin because of my depraved nature. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I never do that correctly because I sometimes love others simply for the benefit of myself. And I am called to be holy as God is is holy. And I never do that because I can never be that holy. So that means even as a Christian, even as a Christian, I'm in a perpetual state of sin. I sin, I sin, I sin, I sin, I sin. That is how I view the Christian life, that that what we are positionally, we will never be practically, that that the Christian life is the impossible task of trying to live out practically what is true positionally. But one day, because our salvation is a complete work of God, we can be 100% assured and absolute. It's a guarantee that one day I will be glorified and then I will be like Christ and I all of that sin will be taken away. But in the meantime, the Christian life is a life of failure and a life of sin. And any and that's the reality. And what I want to do is to get Christians to acknowledge that reality. What I want to do is to get Christians to accept that reality. What I want to do is to get Christians stop trying to claim, no, 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 if you don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this, you're saved. But somehow pretending that we actually do those things to a level that would, that would prove that we're saved. Because it could never prove that I'm saved because it would never be to the level that would prove salvation. Because what would prove salvation? Wouldn't it have to be, I don't know, because God doesn't accept anything less than perfection. So if you're going to look to your actions to prove your salvation, they would have to be very good actions. But not only that, if you're looking to your actions, you're no longer looking to the imputed righteousness of Christ. So I want people to acknowledge our sin and the reality of it and stop with this nonsense that No, 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 no. Look, look to what you do. If you don't do this, you don't do this. You're probably not saved. If you don't do this, you don't do this. You're probably. I'm saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. All of my failures have been paid for. And every test you give me has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. My salvation is based off what Christ did, not on what I do. And then I get very, 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 very tired of Christians constantly claiming. That now that we're Christians, we have power. We have the ability to say no to sin. Yes to God. Now that we're Christians, we have the power to keep the law of God. Now we can do it. They say that, and then five seconds later say, well, 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 well. I mean, we can't keep the law perfectly. But we can keep it. I mean, you can say no to sin. I mean, you can't say no to sin perfectly. I mean, you can say yes to God. I mean, you're not going to say yes to God perfectly. I mean, you can stop sinning. I mean, you can't stop sinning perfectly and it's this weird contradiction. And it seems that whenever I point that out, Christians get mad at me. And they're like, "Oh, no, 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 no. You're creating a false dichotomy. You seem to say, you seem to think that if we say we have power, then that power will get us to perfection, but that's just ridiculous." And I'm like, "Well, then what does the power do? Get you to 50% better off than you were? 40%? 60%? What what does it do?" So you want to argue, I want to I I tend to approach it from the perspective that I am saved perfectly in my position, but in practice, I sin, 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 and I don't look for some supposed power we have because I know we all sin. Everybody else wants to argue that there is a power, but everyone wanting to argue that there is a power has to acknowledge the power does not get us to perfection. Everyone has to acknowledge that the power does not get you to being sinless, so you you even admit that whatever power we supposedly have is limited. So you can't see, say that I'm set free practically from sin because I can't get to perfection. To be set free would mean I could get to perfection. But to point that out, Christians lose their mind. They're like, no, 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 no. You can do it. We can do it. Well, then just be perfect. Well, no, no, we can't be perfect. And I point that out and then they get mad. Well, why do you get mad? Why? It's not, it's not my, look, if you believe you can do it, I'm not stopping you. You can believe you have the power. You can believe you have the ability. You can, you can believe that you're free. Now just go be sinless. And when I say that they get mad, I'm like, so what do you want? You want to tell me, you want to convince me that you have a power that cannot get you to perfection. Okay, well, (laughs) great. You can't be perfect. I can't be perfect. You're going to sin. I'm going to sin. What's the issue? But there's Christians want to believe in some kind of, that we have a power. And I just don't understand how how we balance this out. So we've been talking about these things. There's there's a lot of other things associated with it. But you know we've been talking about these over and over and over and over and over. But no matter how much I talk about it, I find myself right back into these same discussions and arguments, and and I know people are confused, but I don't know what there is to be confused about. I, to, I mean, personally, I don't know. Do you still sin? Yes. Why do you still sin? Because you still have a sin nature. All right. You want to believe you have a power? Well, then do it. You want to believe that these 13 things or 12 things, depending on who you, whether it's the MacArthur test or the Jonathan Edwards test or whichever test someone's going to give you, you want to believe that that proves whether you're saved or not saved? Well, then just be honest with the test. But here's how the tests are, are, are given. If you're truly saved, you will love God. And then about five seconds later, but you won't love him perfectly. If you're truly saved, you will do this, but you won't do it perfectly. If you're truly (laughs) saved, so then like you grade on a curve. I mean, you won't do it perfectly. And some people say it's not perfection, it's direction. Well, what does that even mean? And even if you have the outward direction, does that mean you have the internal direction? So as long as the external is good, then you can say you're saved. What about the internal? It's so subjective. And it's like Christians want to have this ability to determine who is saved or not saved. Salvation is based off the imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. So we've been talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And the sermon that we're reviewing is it's the same kind of madness. You've been saved so you can keep the law. I mean, you can't keep it perfectly. You are saved. Now you will do this. I mean, you won't do it perfectly. You are saved and you have the power, but I mean, you can't do it perfectly. Well, wait a minute. So I can keep the law, but I can't keep it perfectly. Well, if I can't keep it perfectly, that's not keeping the law. So what does that mean? You have power, but there's a limit to the power. Well, then how do you even quantify or measure that? And it's been this just madness in this sermon. It's been maddening. So there's a part of me that just said, you know what, I'm not going to finish it. What's the point? I can't say, but someone asked me to do so, so I'm going to do so. But you can feel my frustration with the whole subject. It's just like we're going in circles, and I don't, I don't know what I don't know what people want from me. It's like if you believe you have the power, and you believe you have the ability, then just go live it. You you supposedly have something I don't. Well, congratulations. Go go do it. Go show the rest of us that you you can you can be better than the rest of us. I guess I don't know what you want to I don't know what you want. It's like they, they, you have to believe there's power. Okay, well then, why don't you just go live it out and the rest of us will figure it out, I, right? And if if I'm saved, then I have the power whether I acknowledge it or not, correct? So it, it's just so weird. Like I I don't get it. It's it's the the arguments with me have I I just I'm kind of like I don't understand anymore. But here we go. We're going to finish this. We've made it 18 minutes. This is a sermon on Romans chapter 8. I know that's a long introduction. I just just didn't know how to get back even into the sermon review. But here we go. Romans chapter 8. I I can't review everything he said. It's just been this madness, this, this doublespeak. You can keep the law, but you can't keep it. You have power, but I mean, you don't have a limited power. You can do it, but I mean, you can't really do it. If you don't do it, you're probably not saved, but you can't do it perfectly, but you can still be, it's just all over the place. Now he's in Romans chapter eight, and he's going to try to show us, I guess, the the character. I think he's going to try to show, well, he'll, he'll explain. Here we go.
0: This is the characterization of the two types of people. Look secondly at the condition of the two types of people. Verse 6, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit, the Holy Spirit, is life and peace. Just consider for a moment, not only the condition presently that you experience, it says is by the way, but also the condition of what it would lead to if you were to live according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. Don't you love Jesus? Don't you love God? That He he warns you. He not only gives you promises, but He warns you about what your life, not only now, but in the future will be like should you choose to reject these, these promises. Should you choose
1: to go your own way?
0: What a good Father we have.
1: Now, if we choose to go our own way, does that mean we lose our salvation? Are you going to say it means we were never saved? Because a Christian could never do this. Now, if for those who haven't been with us in this review, he doesn't believe 1 Corinthians 3 is when it says, and I'll read it to you. I think he's going to come back to it. 1 Corinthians 3, where we read, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as to babes in Christ. Where it seems to be referring to these believers as carnal, he, seems to, he rejects that idea. He rejects that idea. I, I. So here, if there's any carnality, then that's a proof that you were never saved. That was a proof you were never saved. That's kind of the direction he's, he's going.
0: He doesn't just say, Don't touch that stove because it's hot, so to speak. He says, Don't touch that stove because it's hot. It'll it'll affect your feeling, it'll morph the way that you feel. It'll hurt. (laughs) That's just a simple illustration that maybe a father would say to a son. But our heavenly father speaks to us in greater realities. He says, Still. Don't disobey these commands. That would be for your detriment. But don't go around thinking, I have to obey these commands perfectly all the time or else I won't be in heaven. Then you'd be falling into a salvation of works.
1: Okay, so you don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to do it perfectly. Now see there, once again, he's saying, you don't have to do it perfectly. So imperfection is the norm of the Christian life. Now, okay, that's great that he's acknowledged it, but he's already said earlier that, wait a minute, we're saved so that we can keep the law. So can we, if we can keep the law, then we can keep it perfectly. But he's already said that we can't keep it perfectly. All right. Um <laughs> someone said i told my son once basically not to touch it and he immediately touched it yeah because that's that's what we do but law always makes us want to do the opposite but it's just weird in this sermon that he's he's now admitting admitting we can't do it perfectly we don't walk around thinking you can do this perfectly so so that means as christians we are never perfectly going to keep the law we're that means we're going to be in a perpetual state of sin but he's already tried to make it sound like, no, 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 no. If you're carnal-minded, if you do that, you're not saved. So now, 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 see, now it becomes this subjective, what's the measurement? So how much disobedience can be in my life before supposedly it proves that I'm lost? Because you've already admitted that there's going to be a constant amount of disobedience because no one can do it perfectly. Listen, The lack of perfection is a constant state. Meaning you're in a perpetual state of sin. So I can be in a perpetual state of sin and be saved, but you're going to turn around and then tell me, but I cannot be in a perpetual state of sin at a certain level. Then I'm not saved. well, how does that, how does one measure it? Well, you can be in sin all the time and be saved. But if you're in this sin all the time, you can't be saved. Like, it's just some like flip of a coin. Okay. He's in a perpetual state of sin. He's saved flip the coin again, I'm sorry, she's in a perpetual state of sin, she can't be saved. Like, how how random and just weird is that? Like, he's made this thing that if you're a Christian, you're not going to be carnal-minded. If you're a Christian, you're going to love God. If you're a Christian, you're going to pursue the things of God. If you're a Christian, because you cannot be a carnal Christian, you're going to do this. And now he's turned around and go, but don't think you, don't think you can do this perfectly. So can I or can't I? If I can't do it perfectly, that means I'm in a perpetual state of sin because I'm not in a perfect conformity to the standard of God, which is be ye holy as I'm holy.
0: We do need to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Don't get me wrong.
1: All right, we can't be perfect, but we are to be perfect. We are to be perfect. Don't get me wrong. We are to be perfect. I am so confused. Now, now, if he would say we are called to be perfect, we can't be perfect, but we are perfect in Christ Jesus because of imputed righteousness. But he, I, he, I, I told you from the beginning. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just exhausted with this. I'm just, I'm, I'm it's just like, it's like, can you, tr- can Christians? Do they not understand circular reasoning? Do they not understand this just like talking in circles? This is just talking. You should be perfect. I mean, you can't be perfect, but we should be perfect, but you can't be perfect, but you can be, but you shouldn't be, but you can be, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. I don't even know what's going on anymore. I backed it up. Here we go.
0: But don't go around thinking I have to obey these commands perfectly all the time, or else I won't be in heaven. Then you'd be falling into a salvation of works. We do need to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Don't get me wrong. But we are perfect in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he has given to us.
1: Okay, now that's... Okay, finally. He does point people to the imputed righteousness. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. I don't know what the other 19 minutes was all about because it's like on one hand, he wants to believe we can be perfect, but then he admits that we can't be perfect, but we can be perfect in the imputed righteousness. So if I'm perfect in the imputed righteousness, then any lack of perfection in my life, how can that be then a proof that I'm not saved? If I'm perfect in, because of imputed righteousness, then how does my practical righteousness prove that I'm saved? Because I have imputed righteousness. My practical righteousness cannot be used as proof of salvation if I am saved by an imputed righteousness.
0: And it is that reality, that truth that motivates us to want to live for Jesus and to set our minds on the things of the Spirit's.
1: I think the correct way to say this, it should motivate us in theory. But let's remember, we have something inside of us, even as a Christian, that motivates us for self-seeking, self-focus, self-pleasure. That is our sin nature. So whatever motivation should derive from this theological truth that I'm declared perfectly righteous because of an imputed righteousness, That motivation is met with a different motivation that says, no, 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 no. Live for self. Get what you want. Do this. Do this. This is what you want. Go get it. Go get it. Enjoy it. Take it. Take, drink every drop of it. Don't, don't hold back. Get everything you want.
0: It's been well said that when you're born again, you get a new want to. New desires, new affections. The things you could care less about before. Now you're going, oh, I want that.
1: But the but there's still the others that don't want. You, you may get a new want to, but the, there's a not want to that is still very, very, very much present. Unless you're going to believe in the eradication of the old nature. And if you believe in the eradication of the old nature, well, then we can be perfect.
0: If you talk to my mom, she'll tell you um, how before I was a believer, I... I really didn't care about reading. Like I didn't read at all. And then God saved me. And I became a
1: reader. So now salvation makes people readers. Oh man. Wow. I know a lot of Christian men are going to hell. I cannot tell you how many Christian men who just struggle with reading. They, don't want to, they may read their Bible, and, and many of them don't even want to do that. They, they, they'll come to church. They'll listen to the sermon. They're not reading a systematic theology. They're not reading a church history. They're not reading anything, right? They may read their Bible some. They may, some of them won't even engage in meaningful Bible study. And, and come on, all the statistics prove this out. All the statistics show this. So he's like, "Hey, I became a, a Christian and I became a reader." And that's true of everyone. Now, now salvation, the proof of salvation is that you love to read. I'm not saying he's saying that, but I'm just saying it's just a weird thing like, see, when you get a when you become a Christian, you get a new want to. So you didn't want to read, now you want to read. But there's plenty of Christians who don't want to read.
0: I hated reading. It's funny what God can do in a person by making them a new creation.
1: So now, so now, see now back, he's now, oh man, this is so all over the place, right? So you can't do it perfectly, but we are perfect in Christ. How- we we'll say, we're going to stay patient. We're going to stay patient. We're going to stay patient. We're not going to lose this. There we go. Okay, good. I I don't think we, I, I think we may have lost connection for just a brief second. I think we may have lost connection for just a brief second. I should be able to hopefully edit this out. All right. Okay. I think we're good to go. I think we're still good. All right. All right. I apologize for that. Sometimes the internet does weird things. All right. But now back to what we're saying. So he's doing this weird thing. So he's saying on one hand, that because we're Christians, we can keep the law, we can do this. But then he admits that we can't do it. But then he admits that, tr- that if we walk around thinking that we can, then it turns into a workspace system. And that the only way we can do it perfectly is because of, uh, of that. The only hope is we have is the imputed righteousness of Christ. But then he says we should be perfect. But then he turns around and says, look at what Christ does in you. Because I didn't like to read. Now I love to read. And so because I'm a new creature. So once again, he takes the new creature concept and applies it to your practical life, not your positional life. And let me state it again. You are a new creature in Christ. The old is gone. Everything is new in your position, in your practice. The old is still there because you still have a sinful nature. If you believe in the eradication of the sinful nature, then, be, then think about what you would have. No sin nature and the Holy Spirit inside of you and the revelation of God in his word. Well, then how, why would you not be perfect? So he, uh, it's, it's just this weird, like you can, but you can't, but you should, but you will, but you can't, it's, he is, he's gone so many different opposite directions that I, I don't even know how he can't hear the constant, just circular contradiction that is happening here.
0: Not only giving them a new position, but new desires and a new end to be with him forever. So look at the
1: two the two conditions of these two types of people. The mind Now I I agree we have a new position. And I and, and I won't even disagree that there may be new desires, right? Because you've changed your mind. But whatever new desire, if the old nature is there, that old nature will fight against the new desire.
0: On the flesh, those who live according to their flesh and their sinful patterns of life, that condition for them currently is death. And what does that mean? That's talking about a spiritual death. Oh, though they're alive physically, and they may be doing morally upright things, and they may know plenty of things about God and about the Bible and
1: about church, they're dead. Okay, so there is a gr- there's a group of people out there who may know a lot about the Bible, who may do morally upright things, who may know a lot about the church, but could still be lost. All right, so they're lost. What did they do? What? 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 Why are they lost? Well, because they are after the flesh. They do the minds of the flesh. They're, they're carnally minded. So. So you're after the flesh but you're doing morally upright things. Like this becomes so subjective. So okay, wait, I'm doing morally upright things. I do love to go to go to church. I do I do love the things of God. I know a lot about scripture, but I could still be lost. And why would I still be lost? Like What what makes me lost? Because of the way I think? Or because I have wrong desires?
0: Ephesians 2 reminds us of this. Psalm One reminds us of this, countless other places we could go to in the scriptures, and it's leading to death. And why is that? It's because when you live after, set your mind on sinful patterns, sinful behaviors, sinful thoughts, you will live in a sinful way, and the wages of sin is, you got it.
1: So if you live in a sin, Well, wait a minute. He already described these people as could be doing morally upright things. But if you live in a sinful way, you're lost. So if you live in a sinful way, you're lost, but he's already acknowledged we cannot be perfect. So if we cannot be perfect, are we not living in a sinful way? Now, see, this becomes now this subjective... No, 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 no. See, as long as you're trying to go this direction, that's not considered a sinful way. It's when your direction seems to be more the other direction, now you're lost. I mean, now you were never saved. But what if I go back the other direction? Once again, this becomes, am I saved by an imputed righteousness or am I saved by, and they're like, well, you're not saved by your actions, but your actions prove it. Again, how do actions prove an imputed righteousness? That would be proving an infused righteousness which would be Catholicism. It's
0: death. So it's as if the person who's living according to the flesh is dying a death right now that will never end. Because it's leading to an eternal death away from the presence of God's joy and experiencing fully the presence of God's wrath
1: in hell. Okay, you've got to, if if that's the case, you've got to describe exactly what this looks like so everyone sitting in your church can go, okay, 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 okay. All right, is that me or not? Because he's already said you could be that this person that he's describing that will go to hell could be a morally upright person who cares about the things of the church and knows a lot about God and knows a lot about scripture. So what does it look like that you could be morally upright, do morally upright things, care about, know a lot about scripture, care about the church, but you're actually dead? Like what is, I need to know what that looks like. Every, you owe it to everyone to describe exactly what this looks like.
0: The wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God has made a way. God has made a way for sinful man to be made right with holy God by sending his Son. And those who live according to the Spirit who set their minds on the things of the Spirit are constantly contemplating
1: the Son. It's all all right. So if you're, if you're saved, you're constantly contemplating the son. You're constantly focused. So I guess that's the way you know. Are you constantly focused on Jesus? Are you constantly thinking about Jesus? Are you constantly putting your focus on that? If you're not constantly doing, it, I guess you're not saved. I mean, that's the only way I can. He's it, it. Look, the burden of proof is on him to qualify and quantify this in some level because he's threatening people with you're going to go to hell. So what, what does it look like? Well, the only now cl- clear distinction he's made, you will constantly contemplate the, the sun. Really? Yeah, Christians constantly, I mean, give me a break. Christians constantly put their focus on the things of this world and the things of self. You know it, I know it, everyone knows it. About the sun.
0: And therefore, the condition of their life of this type of person, this Christian, the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Oh, my goodness. Just think of this. Life, eternal life, world without end. Amen and amen. Life with Jesus Christ. Life with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Life with all the saints who've gone before and all the saints who will come after. Life that is free from sin.
1: Life that is free from sin. Now, wait a minute. A life that's free from sin, but you've already told us we can't do it perfectly. If I can't do it perfectly, that's not a life free from sin. A life free from sin would be, ladies and gentlemen, perfection. (laughs) Christians are weird. You 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 can live a life free from sin. I mean, you're going to still sin, but it's a life free from sin. I mean, you can't be perfect, but it's a life free from sin. I mean, you can keep the law, but you can't keep the law perfectly. What, why, why do Christians have such a hard time with this? Just, I, I don't get it.
0: Life that is in the presence the joy of the Father. not just talking about eternal life, it's talking about right now, abundant life. (laughs) That has ramifications for even now. And it goes on to say, and peace. Peace. It has a past, present, future reality to it, if you think about it. Past, knowing that all my sins have been forgiven peace peace with God present knowing that every trial every circumstance every tribulation is all under the sovereign hand of God and he's holding me and keeping me and I am content in Jesus
1: Christ yeah, that brings so much peace. Hey, the reason I'm being tied up in a closet and burned with a curling iron by my parents is because God sovereignly wants this. The reason I just got raped on Friday night is because God, wa- it brings so much. It's, it's just weird how Christians don't sometimes see, well, God sovereignly controls everything. That gives me a sense of peace. It, it causes you to go, well, why would God want that in my life? Like, the, it, it doesn't answer all the questions. It's just so weird. He's just kind of like reading a verse and then just kind of go. It's not really like he's not really struggling with all of the implications of these verses and the difficulties. He's just like reading it and just going boom, 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 boom. This is what I'm supposed to say. Do you not realize when you're looking at a group of people who've suffered or suffering saying, hey, everything's under the control of a sovereign God. As much comfort as one may find in it, another one may find great difficulty trying to understand and wrap their mind around it.
0: Nothing can sway me. Hold on to the anchor because he's holding on to me.
1: Well, if he's holding on to me, why do you say if I do this or this or this or this, then I'm not saved? That sounds like he's not holding on to me. I'm holding on to him. And if I let go, then I'm going to go to hell. Or I was never saved. Like, it's so weird. Like, on one hand, he's like, see, there's so much comfort here. But you've already scared everyone to death going, you can be morally upright, know a lot about scripture, know a lot about the church, and you could still go to hell. Without really uh, the only the only clarification he gave is well if you're really saved, you will just constantly contemplate Christ. So if I don't constantly contemplate Christ, no matter how much I know about scripture and no matter how much I am morally upright, I'm still gonna go to hell. I guess I mean he's he it's the burden of proof is on him to clarify all of this.
0: And a future peace that is fully experienced God's presence, seeing the one face-to-face who paid for your peace, who bought you peace, who laid his life down for your peace. You, Christian, who were an enemy are now at peace because of this man, this God-man, Jesus Christ, And it's as if what the Spirit has been leading you to do throughout your life now in the process of sanctification, you'll just be practicing for what you'll be doing forever in heaven, looking to the sun. Is there anything better to think about? And as a matter of fact, we need to think about that more. <laughs> you know, growing up, my grandfather always taught me... He, he said, Luke, you need, to, you need to read about the end times. And I thought, okay, he's... <laughs> no offense, he's, he's a senior saint. His life is coming to an end, so he thinks everything's coming to an end. I get it. But he was right. It wasn't that everything was coming to an end. It's that everything was just beginning. And that you need to look to the end of what's been told and to think about heaven, to contemplate the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. There's no need of sun, for the lamb is its lamp. I mean, think about what sort of peace God will guard your hearts and my, minds with, as Philippians says. When you can...
1: It's just so weird because he throws out like basically, you could be going to hell. But now it's like, hey, just look at all this wonderful stuff. I'm still going back. Well, wait a minute. How do I know if I'm going to heaven? Because I could be morally upright, care about the things of God, but yet still go to hell. Like, I, I, I don't really care about all of this positive stuff. I need you to answer, how do I know for sure if I'm going to heaven? Is it the imputed righteousness or is it, well, I... I, co- I constantly contemplate Jesus. And if I don't do that, then I'm not going to heaven. Like, I, what, what, what? I need to know the answer to that. It's so weird. Like, I, I don't even feel like we're really dealing with the text.
0: Consider those realities. When you set your mind on those things and consider how you'll live. <laughs> I mean, consider this for a moment. I love going to conferences. It gives me a time to travel, to think, to pray, and I'd rather drive than fly because I can listen to sermons and I can just take it in one right after another. I remember this last conference I went to, it was nine hours long. And it was just one sermon after another, after another, after another. And some of it stuck. (laughs) But I remember hearing a sermon by Paul Washer i being so captivated by the love of Jesus Christ for not only me, but all the church. And I just remember being so thankful. And in that moment, there was a semi that cut me off. Just <laughs> went right into my lane. And it didn't really bother me. And I'm not saying that to talk up myself, because trust me, just drive with me a little bit. You'll know. It's not always the case. What I'm saying is there's a simple example there. When you are considering and setting your mind on siding with the spirit and saying yes to the spirit, how he leads, how he directs, yielding your power to his.
1: Oh, man. So if I yield my power to his power then how much power do I have? I have the power not to get frustrated if a semi cuts me off in traffic. That, that, that's what the power will do? Because there's probably people who don't even have the Holy Spirit who don't get frustrated when a semi cuts them off in traffic. There's probably atheists and agnostics who don't get frustrated. There's probably Satanists who don't get I mean, a lot of that just has to do with personality. All right, right, yeah, yeah. What, what, uh, what about the next time they cut you off? I guess he just like, yeah. I guess maybe the next, like, so was it was it only sustained power for that one moment? Like, I, I just, it's just like a weird thing to say. Like, see, I was listening to sermons and and I, I didn't get that. It didn't bother me that much. But then he still was like, well, but, but I mean, if you drive with me all the time, so, so the power was only good enough for that one instance, and so therefore that means, look at, look at that. I, it's such a weird illustration, <laughs> such a weird illustration. Like, hey, I didn't get frustrated when I was cut off in traffic. I, I think the reality is, is most of the people sitting in your, in your in your church probably have said a lot of things while driving their cars that may prove, I guess, that they're not saved. I mean, like, oh, I, I don't know how to even understand this. I, I like I, I, I. All right. Let's continue. It's a wonderful
0: life. Even in the midst of your trials and tribulations and your sufferings that many of you are going through. And the pain that you feel on a regular basis. There's
1: nothing that can touch that peace. Because it's from God. There's nothing that can touch that peace. There's nothing that can touch my peace with God. But I've seen plenty of Christians not at peace. I've seen plenty of Christians not at peace. So nothing. So when a Christian gets saved, they're always at peace, no matter. Hey, hey, it's three o'clock in the morning. You get the phone call. Hey, your son was just killed by a drunk driver. Well, I'm at peace. Is this the whole "It is well with my soul" concept? Remember we talked about "It is well with my soul," and well, he ended up well in a mental hospital. Remember how that all went down? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I like nothing can touch your peace. Nothing can touch my peace with God because that's based off the of imputed righteousness. I think there's a lot of things that can touch my, the peace of God in my life.
0: Do you experience that? Do you set your mind on things of that nature? Or are you settling for anything else? Anything less? Because everything's less compared to God, what does your life look like?
1: If everything is less than putting your mind on God, well, then I guess all you would do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is read the Bible, go to church, pray, Listen to hymns, listen to sermons. You don't do anything else because you wouldn't want to set your mind on anything else because it's less than, right? You wouldn't want to watch a television show. You wouldn't want to watch a sporting event. You would just, that's, is that how, is that how it, is that the proof that one is saved?
0: Are you walking by the spirit? Are you desiring? Do you want to follow his leading to trust in his power? Are you finding that more time in your life, rather than going out and doing good things, you're just simply praying? Asking God for help? Have you been humbled to that degree? Friends, I know for myself, and I know for Pastor Scott, elder, our elder Scott. <laughs> Our heart is not to see this building grow and the amount of people grow. We would love to see that. Don't get me wrong. Our heart is for you to grow. For you to walk according to the Spirit.
1: For you So if they're not walking according to the Spirit, are they still saved? Like, he's tried to make this, he's taken Romans 8, like, I, it's like, I feel like in some ways he's just, he doesn't know what to do with Romans 8. So he's just throwing out a lot of this, like, wonderful language about the Christian life. But but he made it, he seemed to make it dogmatic that, hey, if you do this, you're not saved. But now he's like, hey, what we want to see is for you to walk in the Spirit. Well, so if you have got people they're not walking in the Spirit, are they lost?
0: You to comp- contemplate on a regular basis Jesus Christ and all that he is. That's what we desire. Sometimes the reality is we and maybe you've experienced this in your life, you desire that more for someone else than they desire it for themselves. What do you do for the one who makes a profession of faith but is not walking according to the Spirit? They're walking according to the flesh. What do you do for that one? You keep praying. You keep Praying. You keep sending the scriptures. You keep telling them the truth. And you watch what God does. So, friends, consider not only the characterization of the two types of people, but the condition of these two. I.
1: I. I. I I wonder if anyone, when they left that church, they really understood Romans 8, 1 through 11 any better than they did when they walked in. I'm really starting to think, I don't even know what he's doing with the text.
0: Death or life and peace? What seems better? This or that? Well, can I have a little bit of both? No. (laughs) No. No. But pastor, are you saying that if you're walking according to the spirit, you will never walk according to the flesh?
1: No. (laughs) Okay, so now he's back to this. Hey, if you walk according to the spirit, that does not mean you'll never walk according to the flesh, meaning then you do have both. (laughs) Right. So and that seems to also mean that you could walk according to the flesh and still be saved. You will sin.
0: You will fail. You will fall.
1: All right, so we're back to this. So, (laughs) oh man, so now we will fail. We will sin. We will fall. Also, so now we're back to that we will. I thought, wait a minute. I thought that when we got saved, (laughs) I am so confused. I am so confused. This is just like talking in circles.
0: But the true believer will confess that sin Agree with God about that sin and keep moving forward by the spirit toward God, moving from that sin. That's what a true believer does.
1: All right. So that means they're not never going to commit that sin again. Or are they going to they, they commit that sin again? Like, is it a one-time shot? You can commit that sin once and then you'll never commit it again.
0: Verse 7 and 8 describe the clarification of the one type of person. This is the one who's according to the flesh. It says, because the mind set on the flesh excuse me, is hostile toward God, for it does
1: not subject itself. I feel bad for him because obviously he's starting to have some nasal issues there, right? Um, I hate... Uh... I, I, I feel bad for him just as someone who preaches and sometimes all of a sudden something will start happening with your nose and you're like, you're trying to preach and it's, oh, yeah, so I feel bad for him. Uh, someone in the chat said, moving until perfection. I, I guess, I, I don't know. It, I, on one hand, he's made it sound like we can, then he makes it sound like we can't. And then he, I, I, I at this point, I don't even know what it is to be saved in this sermon.
0: To the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Just giving a further clarification of what the person looks like who's walking according to the flesh.
1: Now, now remember, you've already said that a Christian can walk according to the flesh. So is he getting ready to say now that someone walking according to the flesh isn't saved?
0: Look at these Descriptions the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward god hostility at war there's no peace there's only war and there's war in their souls there's war in their minds there's war in their hearts and guess what they just suppress it they just push it away and some act upon it some hate God so much that they'll dedicate their entire life to trying to destroy God or destroy the things of God they are so hostile towards him because of the sin that is within them and the conviction that they feel toward that sin that all of creation makes clear there is a God and you are against him And he's against you. It is only when God, by his grace, reveals to us through his word, through the power of the Spirit, that God is for us who believe. As a matter of fact, he's always been for us who believe. From eternity past to now, eternity future. His love for us never even had a beginning; it just always was. A friend of
1: look. A lot of the things he's saying are, are are good. I just, I just don't. I, I still don't know what he's doing with Romans eight. It's just like I. It's just like he's reading some words and then he just kind of goes. I'm so com- perplexed because it seems that what he would really want to drive home in this sermon, you'd think the thesis of this sermon is you're either lost or you're saved. Here's how you know you're lost. Here's how you know you're saved. Here are the requirements. Here's the test. Like if you if you if you if you preach from that theological perspective, which is clearly his theological perspective, which my theological perspective is, I know I'm saved because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, but in my flesh I'm still going to sin and I'm going to struggle and I'm going to have this problem. But my hope is in what is what I am in my position because in my practice I'm still going to sin. But he wants to say, no, 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 no. There's a test in your practice, and if you do this and this and this, you're not saved. But he's not really art- articulating or clarifying exactly what that. looks, Looks like. It's very vague. Like on one end, you, you, you can keep the law, but you can't keep the law. You can do it, but you can't do it. You have power, but not power enough to get you there. And it's just this weird, like gray, like, I don't know. You can be morally upright, care about the things of God and know scripture, but you could still be lost. Well, okay, well, you got to clarify what that means.
0: If you confess your sin if you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will know what that love feels like. And you will no longer experience hostility, war, anger, hatred. You will experience life and peace.
1: And then he makes these absolute statements. When you get saved, you will not experience this. But many Christians experience, remember the famous quote by Martin Luther, love God, love God, sometimes I hate him. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A Christian can't say that. Christian can't say that because you'll never experience that anymore. Christians struggle with pain and frustration and confusion and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. It's the reality of who we are because we are sinners. And he and, 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 But then he'll make these episodes. Once you become a Christian, it's the most wonderful life. It's, it's the most wonderful world that it could ever be, right? I mean, the sun is shining. The birds are singing. There's not a cloud in the sky. You love everyone. You forgive everyone. You don't sin. You're perfect. I mean, well, wait a minute. I wait a minute. I mean, you're going to be, you're not going to be perfect you're still going to sin it's like on one hand he describes it like it's this utopia this like basically heaven on earth and then on the next minute he's like well I mean we're still going to sin we're still going to fall we're still going to struggle well which is it?
0: and that will never be taken away from you the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God why? for it does not subject itself to the law of God Did you you see that phrase there? It does not subject itself, submit to, fall in rank to a higher authority. It does not subject itself. It's a choice. It's a willful choice. There's your free will. It's right there. A will that is free but bound to choose only anything other than god
1: and it and see you're going i guess you're getting ready to imply that when you become saved your will is now free to choose god well if your will is free to choose god then you should be able to have the power to willingly choose to never sin so is our will free after salvation Most Christians say it is, but if it is, then you can just choose to be perfect, but you you keep sinning. So if you're going to keep sinning, then it's not free. Isn't our will still bound by sin, even after conversion? If you say it's not, okay, well, then just stop sinning. You say, well, I can't stop sinning. Then it's still bound.
0: Causes, hostility. And it brings about death. It says, it does not subject itself to the law of God, which reveals the character of God. It does not subject itself to God, is what we could even say. For it is not even able to do so. Radical depravity. This is why we pray. We don't manipulate decisions around here. We pray for the Spirit of God to break the the sinful heart. Because only God can do that. And if you look to your life and how you've been saved, if you are saved, this is exactly what God did for you. You may not have been so hateful toward God that you were spending your whole life to be against Him. Outwardly. But make no mistake, you were living your life, little or as long as it was, before God did something for you, demonstrating a hostility toward Him. And God did something for you. God looked at that radically depraved sinner and He said, before the foundation of the world, Mine. You're mine! And I will set my love on you. You will not choose me. I will choose you. And if God could do that for us, imagine who else he can do that for. Hmm. Verse 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is where we end those who are in the flesh, who are walking according to the flesh, who are setting their minds on the things of the flesh, those sinful cravings, those self-centered desires, who are consistently living their life through this pattern of sin, sin, and more sin. They can't please God. They're not even able to do so. So what should we, what should this tell us? First of all, one should remind us of our, of the radical depravity that all men are born into and that only God can save them from and out of to be given power by the Holy spirit to live
1: for God. There we go. Now we're right back to it. See, so you're saved out of this depravity and now you have the power to live for God. Now, how much power? Once again, he's already said that we we are going to fall and we're going to sin. So whatever power now that we're he's hyping up is a limited power. Why is the power limited? And so when I asked that question, people like it's a false dichotomy. You can have power, and because things can stop that, bad you'll you'll get these comments. Things can stop that power. Well, whatever can stop the power is greater than the power. If the power, if the spirit of God is the power giving you the ability to do it, then why can't it be, why is it not a power to get you to perfection? But whatever stops that power is greater than the power. I knew that, I knew it sooner or later he was going to come right back to it. So he's going to basically say, now that you're saved, you're, that radical depravity is somehow magically gone. And now you have power, but yet you can't get p- to perfection. It, it's like such double speak. You, you had this radical depravity, now somehow the ra- radical depravity is taken care of. Now, I don't think he would believe in the eradication of the old man completely, but it almost hints at it, because now you have the power. Well, if I have the power, how much power?
0: Where they once were an enemy, now they're an obedient follower.
1: Now we're an obedient follower. Now, if I'm an obedient follower, then if I'm obedient... Can there be disobedience and I still be considered obedient? Well, I mean, you're not going to be obedient all the time. You're going to be disobedient. So, So how much disobedience can be present so that I can still be considered an obedient follower? How much not following can be present and I still be considered a follower?
0: But this should also tell us that the purpose of all of our lives is to bring glory to God, to please God. And Paul says over and over again, gives this phrase, please God, please God, please God, please God.
1: Before- and I do please God in Christ Jesus and my position. I should strive to please God and practice, but I'll never truly be pleasing to God and practice because I still have a sinful nature And I still have the flesh, and so even my good works are tainted by my sin.
0: Before you were in Christ, when you were living according to the flesh, you didn't care about pleasing anybody but yourself, and that's for me too.
1: And you saying Christians don't have that same problem of only caring about pleasing ourselves? Have you ever thought that in many cases Christians try to please God? In order to please themselves because they think that that means they'll get a reward. Like sometimes even our motivation in pleasing God is still self-serving. Here'd be a good idea. Hey, Christians, please God and you're still going to go to hell. If, if if God right now removed heaven, like there is no heaven. Heaven but you're going, because I am God and I deserve glory, and because I'm the creator, you should please me. Now, please me, but you still go to hell. How many Christians would still seek to please and glorify God, even though it was guaranteed they would go to hell? Now now you would really see how much we really are not self-seeking. Now we would see how much we're really focused on God. If, if God said, no, you're still going to spend an eternity in hell, but seek my glory and please me, would you do it? Now now we'll get down to really how much you really love God, or how much you really love God, and in order to love yourself, because you don't want to burn in eternity.:
0: I might not have been as bad as I could have been, but I was bad enough. And I was living for me, myself and I.
1: I, I hey, congratulations to him. But for this podcaster, I still live for myself way too much. Even though I'm a Christian, I still am self focused, self self pleasing, and want to live for myself over and 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 over again.
0: Some call that the unholy trinity. That's what was ruling my life. Me. I was the, as I thought, the captain of my own destiny. And yet the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, did something for me that caused me to thou
1: want to please God. See, please note, the focus is not that what he did for me was giving me an imputed righteousness. The focus is that he did something in me to now make me want to please God. So, so now Christians want to please God. Now, are you sure that there's still not a lot of wanting to please self? But say, please, immediately, he's mentioned the imputed righteousness like once, but immediately now this is what God is doing in us, not, see, the focus is not an imputed, it's an, some kind of an infused concept, which is again so uh, aligned with Roman Catholicism.
0: And so you need to ask yourself, first of all, am I living in such a way that demonstrates I am walking according to the Spirit? I'm living according to the Spirit. I'm siding with the Holy
1: Spirit. Now, how do you judge this? Are you living in such a way that you can demonstrate that you're siding and walking in the spirit? Now, come on, be be honest. Now, that would have to be in thought, word, and deed. I guarantee if you're even halfway honest, you know what you're going to find? That you walk according to the flesh, you desire to please self, you're self-seeking, self-centered, and that you focus on self and that you put yourself before God time and 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 time, and time again. And I, and I, well Okay, let's just continue. Or am
0: I living in a way that's living according to my flesh? Is the basic pattern
1: of my life sin? The basic pattern of your life is sin. And let me give you the examples again. Jesus tells you to love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You never do that. That's a pattern of sin. You love your neighbor as yourself. You don't do that. That's a pattern of sin. Be holy as he is holy. You don't do either of, uh, none of those three things you don't do ever. You fall short continually, meaning that that's a pattern of, ladies and gentlemen sin but you don't mean that what you mean is a pattern of sin is specific sinful actions not even you're you're ignoring sinful desire sinful thoughts sinful feelings sinful motivations you're just going to look at some sp- Are you committing these sins? And so we reduce sin to simply an outward action. And as long as we avoid certain big outward actions, then we can consider that we're doing good enough and that we can prove to everyone that we're so godly and that we're so wonderful. Basically, clean up the outside of the cup so that you can somehow prove to yourself that you're godly enough so that you can claim to be saved.
0: Or obedience. Disobedience. Disobedience. Or obedience?
1: Obedience or disobedience? I just gave you, again, those scriptures. How often are you disobedient to them? How much disobedience can be in your life and you still be considered obedient?
0: You have to ask ask yourself that question first and answer that. This will determine what type of person you are. Are you saved or are you lost?
1: See what determines whether you're saved or lost? This will determine what kind of person you are. Saved or lost. What determines? What you do and don't do. Your actions determine whether you're saved or not saved. Not what determines you're saved or unsaved is that you've placed your faith in the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ and by faith his righteousness has been imputed to you. No, no, no. We don't even care about that anymore in the evangelical world. What proves you're saved is what you do. This is straight up... Right? I mean, this is what the Roman the, the Roman Catholic Church teaches in regards to salvation in an infused righteousness, and you cooperate with that infused righteousness so that you're in a state of grace. And if you commit enough wrong, then you lose a state of grace. If you commit a mortal sin, and then you have to get back to a, a state of grace. This is a very similar concept. He says, this will determine what kind of person you are, saved or unsaved. What determines what kind of person you are? What you do or don't do. Not what Jesus did, but your actions determine the person you are. That is so anathema to the gospel.
0: If you're saved, man, just just consider what you were,
1: what God did. If I'm saved, I consider what I was and what I now am, not in my practice, but what I am in because of an imputed righteousness.
0: And how there's more work to do. Not work to keep our salvation, not work to maintain our salvation, not work to save us at all.
1: But work to prove it. (laughs) I, wa- I want him to go ahead and be honest. You have to do this work to prove it. Because if you don't have it, then you're not saved.
0: Let's certainly work to prove our salvation.
1: There you go. What proves my salvation is not the work of Christ, but the work of me. <laughs> Meaning if I don't have the work, I'm not saved. So what's required to be saved is the work. So you can talk in all the circles you want. It still works.
0: Faith without works is dead. Faith always works. And friends, there's always more work to do. And you say, Pastor, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a missionary. Well, you may not be a pastor, but you certainly are a theologian. And you certainly are a missionary. You say, Pastor, I'm a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) You are a theologian to your children. And you are a missionary to them You've been planted by God right there in that community, in that house, with those people made in the image of God. And it is your duty to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not only for God's glory and your sake, but for their sake. say, Pastor, I'm not a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I'm a grandparent. My kids are gone out of the house. I hardly see my grandkids. What am I supposed to do? I come to church
1: and adopt some grandkids. So, so oh man. I, everything is about what you do. 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 You do because this is going to prove you're saved. Do this. Do this. This will prove you're saved. If you don't do this, you, but it's all external things external, 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 external. Clean up the outside of the cup to prove you're saved.
0: Set your mind on the things of the Spirit and talk about Jesus to those kids because they're listening. They're listening. I mean, maybe I bring them up too much, but my son, the other day, he just said, Daddy, your head hurts? I'm going to pray to God for you. Thank you, Lowell. I wasn't talking about prayer with him. But guess what? He sees a lot of people praying on a regular basis. And that includes you. But what about me, Pastor? I hate my...
1: I, I don't know what that supposedly proves. I mean, congratulations. He said that. That's wonderful. Does it prove... I mean, I, I, I don't know. Whatever. Just. I just... I've seen a lot of parents say those things about their kids when they're young. And then when they're 18, they're an atheist, the kid. So now an atheist and agnostic and doesn't care anything about God. So that doesn't necessarily prove anything, but okay. I I, I don't know. I I, I guess this is all about what we do, what we do, what we do, what we do. The gospel in this church is, if you want to be saved, do these things. I mean, no, 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 no. You don't do these things to get saved, but if you don't do these things, you're not saved. So you have to do these things in order to be saved. But we don't believe that you're saved by doing them. But if you don't do them, you're not saved. Meaning, you have to do them in order to be saved. And you can do it, but you can't do it, but you will do it, but you won't do it, but I don't know. You you have power, but not uh, that kind of power. It's just all over the place. The one thing, he mentioned the imputed righteousness like once, but I can tell you this, he's not pointing anyone to the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's pointing everyone to their unfinished work and telling them to get busy.
0: My job. I just go in and do my time. I'm just... Living for my retirement. You never retire as a Christian.
1: Obviously, because if you don't, you probably think you're lost. <laughs> so you got to get to work. I don't even know why Christians sleep. You use that those extra hours to do more things so that you can prove that you're saved.
0: And you're in a mission field at that job that you hate. By those people who may despise you for what you believe in. But you have an opportunity to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit. Even if you're on the line, just doing something over and over and over again, you're doing it for the glory of God. And you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself as you do it.
1: Do what? He truly believes you can love God with all your heart, mind, body, yourself, and love your neighbor yourself. He truly believes you can do that. Oh my goodness. You, we never do that perfectly. Ever. Ever. So, so so, he needs to just, he just needs to go and come out and just say he believes in sinless perfection. Because if you can love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and you can love your neighbor as yourself, and you can do that, then I'm sorry, you've reached sinless perfection. Because if you loved God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, you would not sin. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you would not sin against your neighbor in thought, word, or deed. Oh, man. Okay. I see. I just moved the time stamp here like crazy. I'm going to go back to this. All right. Here we go.
0: A pastor, but you certainly are a theologian and you certainly are a missionary. You say, Pastor, I'm a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> you are a theologian to your children and you are a missionary to them. You've been planted by God right there in that community, in that house with those people Made in the image of God, and it is your duty to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not only for God's glory and your sake, but for their sake. I say, Pastor, I'm not a stay-at-home mom, uh, I'm a grandparent. <laughs> my kids are gone out of the house. I hardly see my grandkids. What am I supposed to do? I come to church and adopt some grandkids. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit and talk about Jesus to those kids because they're listening. They're listening. I mean, maybe I bring them up too much, but my son the other day, he just said, Daddy, your head hurts? I'm going to pray to God for you. Thank you, Lowell. I wasn't talking about prayer with him. But guess what? He sees a lot of people praying on a regular basis. And that includes you. What about me, pastor? I hate my job.
1: And if I was a pastor, I mean, I know he may be a young pastor with young children. Don't use your children as illustrations of how godly they are. Don't do that because you set them up. And everyone in the church then will see when they fall and go, oh, I thought that kid was so godly. I thought that kid prayed. I, yeah, just, just, that's just a word of advice. Don't use your kids as an example of positive things because everyone in the church will then say, oh, he thinks his kids are so perfect. And when your kids then don't live up to that perfection, everyone's going to judge them based on, well, how perfect you made them sound in your sermon illustrations. Just leave your kids out of it, okay? that's 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 the best thing to do.
0: I just go in and do my time. I'm just living for my retirement. You never retire as a Christian. And you're in a mission field at that job that you hate by those people who may despise you for what you believe in. But you have an opportunity to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit. Even if you're on the line just doing something over and over and over again, you're doing it for the glory of God. And you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself as you do it. And what's the motivation to do all this?
1: It's God. Well, The motivation is if I don't do all of this, I prove that I'm not saved. (laughs) So you've already given me the motivation. You can try to spiritualize the motivation all day, but you made it very clear. You do this to prove you're saved. You work in that factory, you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. And I guess if you don't do that, you're not saved. And you say, well, and then he would say, but I mean, he's made it very clear that you can do it perfectly. So I, so I, man, this is.
0: God is the motivation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's what we'll discuss next week if our gracious God gives it motivation to live according to the Spirit and consolation. Look, I I know I'm a Baptist (laughs) and I know I'm pretty blunt. I don't ever want you to walk away feeling beat up by my words. Conviction is one thing. Beat up by my words is totally different. And I think Paul was stressing that idea too as a pastor. (laughs) Which is why he says in verse 9, however, you are not according to the flesh. You are according to the spirit.
1: Positionally.
0: Though you fail, though you falter, you have a strong savior who's upholding you.
1: So now he's going back that we fell and fall. Could you make up your mind for crying out loud? Can I either do it or can I not do it? Hey, you can love God with all your heart, my body, soul. I mean, even though you're going to fail and fall. Well, then.
0: <laughs> strengthening you and who is giving you the spirit to lead you back.
1: Oh, now we back to the strength. So I have the I'm going to fail and fall, even though I have the strength. Uh, it's it's so maddening.
0: To the truth. To keep you walking. And setting your mind. On greater things. We'll discuss that next week. Let's pray.
1: No, we're not going to discuss it next week because I'm never going to listen to another sermon ever again. (laughs) Whoa, that, okay, that, all right. I don't know what to say other than I'm done. I wash my hands of this. I'm finished. I, I completed the task that was asked of me I did it, so I guess I proved that I'm saved. Because I don't know, I don't, I don't know what I just proved, other than wow, that is just so frustrating. It was so back and forth, and what I guess what I would, what I would love, is to take people who were there and say, okay, explain to me Romans chapter eight verses one through eight. Explain it to me. Go, explain it to me. Go, because I don't feel like I under, I don't think I. I, I don't think that the text was ever even even re- remotely actually dealt with in any meaningful way. the struggles, the difficulties that passage is filled with a zillion issues. I don't know what to say. I will say this uh at about the thirty minute mark twenty nine minute mark we had an internet interruption i don't I'm gonna go back and try to determine how messed up it was. Hopefully it wasn't. If you were listening, please let me know, like, did we lose, like, how long were we off the air? Was it a a second? Did I cut, did it, did, was it disjointed? Like I cut out and when I came back in, you had no idea what I was talking about or did I catch it soon enough? Kind of pause. And then when we came back in, I explained what we were doing, um, anything because I, uh, Um, I want to make sure before I upload this, I want to make sure that it's not so disjointed. At the same time, I don't want to throw away one hour and 24 minutes of work. I don't want to throw away one hour and 24 minutes of work. So if, if there was a problem, let me know what the problem was and how long the problem was. I'm going to go back and try to find the problem and uh, see if we can uh, do some magic editing so that the problem will appear to have disappeared or at least just uh, minimize it as much as possible. Um, a part of me just wants to upload it because I really don't care at this point because I'm so frustrated by this. But there you go. I mean, but the sad part is what was just preached. That's standard evangelical Christianity. And I just like, I don't know how someone doesn't walk out of there going, so am I saved? Am I not saved? What do I have to do to prove that I'm saved? Do I do enough to prove that I'm saved? Because the one thing that was not given was the comfort that your salvation is not based on what you do, but what Christ did for you. And that by faith in him, you were declared perfect and righteous and you're saved by an imputed righteousness. But, okay. I'll stop there. You can email me. News, if at yahoo.com, news, if at yahoo.com, that's news, if at yahoo.com. I wish I would say thank you for listening, but I almost feel bad that you did listen. Just please consider what the gospel actually is, and please be honest with the sin in your own life and stop pretending to be something that we're not because we're all sinners, and we still sin, and we need to be much more honest with that fact. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.